All right, well, we have made it to the last message in this seven-part series. And if you stick around, um, as I've promised over the past few weeks, um, before this service ends, you will have a free book in your hand. And we've looked at a number of themes here in this final book of the Bible. We've looked at the themes of revelation and assurance and redemption, provision, celebration, faithfulness. And today, we look at a sermon entitled, The Lamb is the Beginning and the End, and we'll be focusing on the theme of restoration. Restoration. This last chapter relates the final reunion of God and his children, and the complete restoration and then recreation of the earth. Oh, you guys are not tracking with me. Let me connect this iPad. There we go. In the last three chapters of the book of Revelation, we see the same words and topics that we find in the first three chapters, not just of Revelation, but of the Bible. So in the last three chapters of Revelation, we see some similar terminology that we see in the first three chapters of Genesis, just in reverse order. So the book of Genesis, it starts with creation, intimacy with God, and then the tempter, sin, evil, death come onto the scene. But the last three chapters of Revelation announce a reversal of the same things. Satan is destroyed, and evil is no more. And God once again tabernacles with his children in intimacy forever, with no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. And then the final chapter describes the recreated earth, the recreated earth. I, I heard an amen. I'm going to need some of y'all, if you're, if you're following with me, um, I'm giving you permission this morning to speak up a little bit because uh, Nathan is not here and Ron is not here, and those are the ones I count on to make sure that you guys are hearing me. So if, if, if you agree with something, you know, you, it, it's okay to say amen. I'm not going to pull that out of you. I'm not going to ask for, can I get an amen? But if, if, if you feel the need, um, then it, please let me know you're following with me. So with all of that being said, I want to take some time and look at something that we talked a, a good bit about last week, but I feel that this theme is so powerful and the thread runs so deep throughout all of Scripture that we need to spend a little more time with this theme. The Goel is one of the most intriguing themes running through Scripture, and it's commonly referred to as the kinsman redeemer, the kinsman redeemer. If a man could no longer support himself, well, he could give up his property or give up his inheritance. And if that wasn't enough, if the debt was too great, he could even turn himself into a slave in order to pay off that debt. Now, this is a pretty terrible situation to be in, but... For an individual who is in this sort of circumstance, there would be light at the end of the tunnel because this is where the goel comes in. 
Goel. A good, good Hebrew word, good Hebrew name, Goel. The closest relative, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, could act on behalf of those who were in distress. He could purchase the property or land and restore it to its original owner or even pay the ransom for their enslaved relative to be set free. Wow. The closest of kin claimed responsibility for the relative in distress. And this Hebrew word that we translate to kinsman redeemer, it's goel, goel. And so if you're, if you're reading through the Old Testament in Hebrew, you'll see this name, goel, pop up in a number of different places. In the Hebrew, I mean in the English, it's translated as a few different words. We'll, we'll look at one of those here in a minute. Now, aside from marrying a widow and securing descendants for a deceased close relative, the Goel also played many other roles. And we talked last week about how for us nowadays, it might seem a little strange for uh, someone to come in and to marry a, a widow and to give her offspring. But in this time, in this culture, for, for a, a woman to not have offspring to be a widow, it was looked at in the eyes of society as shameful. And so the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, could come in and take away her shame and give her an inheritance. But aside from that, there were a few other roles to play. And Leviticus 25 is one of the chapters that explains in a little more detail the laws of redemption. So here are a few things that the Goel had the authority to do. The Goel had the authority to redeem a relative who had sold himself into slavery, also the authority to redeem property that was given up by a poor relative, the authority to avenge the blood of a murdered relative, and also the Goel had the authority to appear in a lawsuit as a helper for a relative to make sure that justice was served. Now, can you imagine the helplessness of a person who was destitute, without property, in slavery, or, you know, enmeshed or trapped in a lawsuit. This would be pretty overwhelming, pretty overpowering in a negative way. It would feel terrible. But can you also imagine the happiness, the joy, the relief that that same person would feel when they see that their Goel, their closest of kin, their kinsman redeemer is on the way to redeem them? And this is where it gets really good. Because this explains the entire Bible, this theme of Goel. It explains the entire Bible from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. When God created us in his image, he pledged himself to a rescue plan because he is our closest of kin. He is our Goel. He obligated himself to be our redeemer, our rescuer. And as we discussed last week, Goel is used in the, scripture, in the scriptures as a descriptive name for God. And it's typically translated as redeemer, redeemer. So when you're going through the Old Testament and you see this name pop up a lot, this name redeemer, 
Realize that's the Hebrew word goel. Your redeemer lives. Your redeemer is your closest of kin. Your redeemer can bail you out when it seems that there's nobody else in the world who can. Jesus would be the one to become flesh, to become our brother, and to redeem us without money. This is why we saw a few weeks ago that the lamb that was slain is the only one in heaven who can open that scroll. He's the only one worthy. He didn't pay our debt with gold and silver. He paid our debt with his blood. The sacrificed lamb, the slain lamb, he redeemed us with his blood. Jesus himself told us the purpose of his death. And so we find a word that is typically associated with Goel in his explanation in the New Testament. Mark 10, 45 says, for even, this is Jesus speaking, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom. Jesus redeemed us, but as is the authority of the Goel, he also redeemed our land. That's why the new earth will be right here. It's not gonna be somewhere else in the universe, some other galaxy, some other new planet that was created. It will be right here. We will be back to where we started in Genesis chapter one, when everything was in perfection. It got messed up, yes. It got turned upside down along the way, but God is going to fix it. God is going to make it new. Jesus fulfills all the roles of the Goel. Praise God for our kinsman redeemer. I just realized that we don't have someone on the camera, so I'm gonna try to stay right here. (laughs) The whole Bible is a story of how God got his children back. Do you pick that up when you're reading the Bible? I mean, that is, that, that is one of the greatest themes that shouts out whether you're reading the Old Testament, whether you're reading the New Testament. It's about God having children that got lost, having children that got stolen, and he's gonna get them back. He's gonna do whatever it takes to go after them and to remind them that he loves them, remind them that he cares, and remind them that he cared so much that he was willing to die for them. Our Goel stepped in. We are going home because of it. So after a period of time specified as the thousand years, the kidnapper, the serpent, the devil is destroyed forever. And then the earth is recreated and becomes the new earth, as we're told in Revelation chapter 21. Now, don't you think it is significant that our permanent home will be the same place where we began? Because if we're following with this Goel theme, we will realize just how significant it is. Because this was one of the roles, as I've mentioned, of the kinsman redeemer. Here it is right here, Leviticus 25, 25. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possessions, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, paid the ransom, not only to rescue us, but also to get our land, the earth, back. Wow. So, I mean, this is all-encompassing. Jesus doesn't do, you know, a, a halfway job. 
If he commits to something, he's going to fulfill it to its completion. And so as we open the book of Revelation, we immediately, right there from the beginning, get into the language that was used at the beginning of the Jewish scriptures as well. For example, Revelation 2.7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Tree of life and paradise. Those are, those are words that we can also find in Genesis chapter 2, right? When God prepared a special place for his beloved children. But this is what restoration is all about, right? Taking something that was broken, something that was messed up, and restoring it, fixing it, bringing back to what it was originally. And then check out Revelation 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. All things are made new. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, but the last part of this verse, it always confused me. And there was no more sea. Why? Why is that thrown in there? It confused me until I started to study more about the culture and the history of the first century Mediterranean world. Because you see, in their understanding and their worldview, for them, the sea was the place where evil resided. But now, in this verse, evil is no more. Evil is no more. You don't have to be scared of the sea and what might live in it. And then, in verses 3 and 4, we find this loud voice that can be heard. This voice announces the fulfillment of the ongoing covenant theme that was spoken at different times and in different ways all throughout human history, all throughout the Bible. The presence of God with his people has been another one of those threads that runs throughout all of human history. Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, I will set my tabernacle among you and I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. This covenantal phrase constantly reminds us that God is not only with us now, but he's been with us in the past and he will continue to be with us through all of eternity. Do you, do you realize that you serve a God who's crazy about you? A God who doesn't want to be away from you. A God that wants to be in your life, not just for a time, not just for a season, but for all of eternity. That's the type of God that we serve. That's the type of love that he offers. And I know sometimes, you know, in this sinful, fallen world, and we've had broken hearts and broken relationships, and sometimes we beat ourselves up and we wonder and we doubt, could God really care about me? I know he might care about so-and-so. I know he might care about them, but me? I'm messed up. My faith is weak. I don't have it all together. That's a lie being whispered in your ear. Because the Bible, if we're to take it at face value, if we're going to take it as truth, as a love letter from God, over and over we realize that God loves us in spite of ourselves. He's crazy about you. And the cool thing is, is that when he comes into your life, he's not going to leave you the way that you were when you came to him. He's going to change you from the inside out. Wow. 
This is restoration. This is the message of Christianity. This is what God wants us to hold on to with faith and trust and hope. I think we'd all do well to remind ourselves of this fact every single day. God is with you, and he always wants to be with you. Moreover, God designed a way in which his people would experience his presence, the tabernacle in the wilderness, right? And eventually, the temple. God manifested the glory of his presence as well as his redemption plan through these sacred structures. When Jesus became flesh, he tabernacled among us. This simply means he dwelt among us. Jesus, who was God, became a man so that he could be even closer to us. There's this broad gap that took place when sin entered the world. Jesus came to bridge the gap. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 tells us that Jesus was the ultimate representation of God's glory. And in the new earth, the tabernacle of God is among men because he is dwelling with them forever, not because there is a physical temple. Because we find in Revelation 21, 22, but I saw, this is John speaking, he has this vision of heaven, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no need for a building because a building, that's not what it was about. God's trying to remind us, you know, that building, that, that sanctuary, that temple, as beautiful as it was, it wasn't about the building It was about who was in the building. This gap that had divided us in heaven and in the new earth, it will be gone. There will be no need for a physical building because our tabernacle will be Jesus and he will always be with us. In the Jewish scriptures, the covenant of God was promised to Adam, promised to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, and to David, but they only received a glimpse of this promise, right? But when we get to the new earth, this promise, this covenant will be fulfilled in its entirety. The ultimate reality with us will be that we will have then received the divine sonship. Do you realize that we are all sons and daughters of God? Wow. Sons and daughters of the king. We are children of God. And I love how it's exciting for us, yes, to realize we're children of of, of God, children of the creator. But do you realize that God is also excited about that? Because we see in Revelation that God himself, he can't wait to tell us that truth. He doesn't leave that truth just for John to recount to us. God's like, give me the microphone for a second. Let me make this clear to my children. He says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son or my daughter. What a love it is. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Our Heavenly Father is calling us home. 
Do you, do you hear him? Do you hear him? So as you wrap up your, your reading of Revelation chapter 21 and move into the final chapter of the Bible, you'll find a scene where the entirety of all of redeemed humanity, referred to in this next verse we'll look at as the nations, they're gathered around the tree of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the Lamb of God, and, or proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The tree that God had planted in paradise in the beginning, it's back, right? It's back. Restoration, restoration. Do you remember how Jesus promised that criminal on the cross? He, he gave him a promise. He said, you will be with me in paradise. Here it is. This, this is paradise. This is what Jesus was speaking about. And because we have chosen Jesus, we will be there too. This is our future. This is our reality. Standing by the tree of life with all of its luscious and life-giving fruit. That's going to be us. That's going to be us. And later in this chapter, John utters the seventh and final beatitude. Remember when we started this series, we talked that there were beatitudes in the book of Revelation that John gave. This is the final one. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Now, this expression of washing their robes, it was explained earlier in Revelation. Revelation 7:14. These are the ones who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are the redeemed ones who have the right to the tree of life, this symbol of immortality, because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. This, this symbolism here, they've accepted the ransom paid by the Goel. They weren't proud of their own white robes, right? They had spotless robes. They were white. They were beautiful. But they said, uh-uh, it's not about me. It's not what I have done. It's what he has done. And their robes are washed clean, not by their own good works, not by their own knowledge or understanding, which, don't get me wrong, those aren't bad things, but they're not going to get you to heaven. Jesus is the only ticket to heaven. And we see that these redeemed, which I believe we will be a part of, we might struggle with it now. We might struggle with self and this desire to have a part to play in our salvation. But when we get to heaven, we'll realize the truth as it is in Jesus and give him all the glory, honor, and praise. There's something that takes place in the book of Revelation that I just, I love. I love the symbolism. I love the picture that it paints. You know, when we get to heaven, we'll all be given crowns, right? We're all going to be given these beautiful crowns. But then if you follow the narrative, what happens? You take off the crown and you throw it at the feet of Jesus. I didn't earn this. Lord, you earned this for me. Wow. Wow. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Jesus is our ticket. Now, at the end of the book of Revelation, we get our final multi-descriptive. Actually, before I move on, um, for those of you that are taking note and you're, you're going back over this, depending on your translation of the Bible, when it comes to this verse, those who have washed their robes in Jesus, you might have a different translation in your Bible. Because some of them say, these are those that have washed their robes. But then some translations say, these are those that have kept the commandments. Now, to me, and looking at the Greek, and also looking at the similar phrase that we've just looked at in this other verse, I believe the better translation is that they have washed their robes because once again, do our commandment keeping, does that get us to heaven? No. Is it bad or wrong to keep commandments? No, of course not. But don't keep the commandments because you believe that's your ticket to heaven. Keep the commandments because you love the one who has already given you your ticket to heaven. So at the end of the book of Revelation, we get this final multi-descriptive portrait of Christ. And it repeats some of the same descriptions that we got earlier in the book. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And then it continues in verse 16, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus was there at the beginning of our story, and Jesus is going to be there at the end of our story. He truly is our all in all. The close of Revelation records the final red words in the Bible. You know what it means when, when, when you open your Bible and you see red letters, right? It's, it's the words of Jesus. They're, they're already highlighted for us in most Bibles. If you stick to those red words, you will be filled. But the, the final red words that we find in the Bible are in the last book, in the final chapter. Surely, I'm coming quickly. Do you hear in this statement the eagerness of a parent coming to pick up his children? And John responds, amen, right? This, this, this term that simply means, let it be so. Lord, you're saying this, let it be. I agree with it. I'm on the same page as you. That's what John says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. And I pray that this is not just something we read in the Bible that John said, but I believe that it should be our experience. It should be what we are saying. Come, Lord Jesus, come take me home. I'm waiting for you. That glorious day is coming, and it's coming soon. So there you have it. We've reached the end of our series. We've reached the end of the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. And now you've got no excuse to say, I don't know how the story ends. The lamb is triumphant and the villain has lost. It's the full circle from creation to redemption only possible because a costly ransom was paid in full by the lamb, by our shepherd, by our first and last, by our Goel, by Jesus. This is the story of God's successful rescue of his kidnapped children. Are you ready to be rescued? Are you ready to be taken home?
Revelation can be summarized in two words. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. There's no need to be anxious for the future. There's no need to be fearful about the future because we know how the story ends. It ends with Jesus winning and us on the winning team. So I would like to ask a few of our elders, maybe a few of our deacons, uh, there is a box back there with some books And while they're passing out these books, once again, for those of you, maybe this is your first week uh, hearing this, or or maybe you've forgotten, this seven-part series was based on a book uh, called Revelation, the Fifth Gospel by Elizabeth Talbot, and she gave me permission to take this and turn it into a sermon series. So I want to give you the book. Now, there's a lot more information in the book than I was able to cram into seven parts. So you're going to be familiar with some of this, but there's going to be some other hidden gems waiting for you uh, to help you fall in love with Jesus a little bit more. So I want to give this to you, and I also just want to let you know that next week, Elizabeth Talbot will be here. And for those of you that aren't familiar with her teaching style, with her ministry, you don't want to miss this. She uses a lot of props and a lot of illustrations. You'll see a lot of props, a lot of illustrations up here while she's presenting. And what she has a gift of doing is taking complicated topics and making them easy to understand. And the added benefit also of the props is that you will remember them better. So please, don't, don't miss out on this. I believe that we are in for a blessing next week. But to wrap up the series, I just want to remind you, I, I know that you've heard many presentations on Revelation. You've, heard, you've, you've read many books on the book of Revelation. And I know that many of you have left those feeling scared, feeling worried, feeling anxious. And I hope that this series and I hope that this book helps you get a better grasp in understanding what Paul meant in 2 Timothy 1.7, that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you're reading Revelation and it's getting you scared, you're not reading it right because this book is full of hope. And while there are some hard times coming, some scary events that might take place, you're not going to be left to go through those alone. Christ will be there by your side. There's no need to fear for the future. And if you feel that anxiety welling up within you, just remember how it ends. And God and his children lived happily ever after. The end. Which, thanks to the Lamb, thanks to our shepherd, thanks to our Goel, thanks to Jesus, the end is just the beginning. Are you looking forward to that day? The start of eternity. If you plan on being there, then I ask that you would just stand with me right now to your feet. If you plan on being there by that tree with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, just stand so that those around you can know you're going to be there. They'll know where to look for you by that tree. By standing, you're saying, I trust my kinsman, Redeemer. I trust my Goel. I trust in my Jesus and I accept his sacrifice. I'm standing because I believe that my robes have been washed clean by the blood of the lamb, and I know that eternity 
is waiting for me. Let us pray. Lord, you know our desires. You know our prayers. You know our struggles. You know us more intimately than we know ourselves. And we're grateful for that. We're thankful for that. And we look forward to continuing in this world to grow closer to you. And we look forward to the world to come where there will be no more sin to cause division, no more sin to get our eyes off of you. Lord, we look forward to that day when you will come in the clouds of glory and you will take us home, not for a time, not for a moment, not for a season, but for all of eternity. Lord, we claim the blood of Jesus in our lives right now, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit. And if there are ways that are keeping us anxious, keeping us fearful, keeping us full of hate or anger, that you would do what is necessary to remove those things from us and to replace them with the fruits of your spirit. May we go forth from this place with joy, with assurance, with surety that we know where our future ends. And it ends with Jesus taking us home. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice and we accept it in Jesus' name. Amen.